This podcast is presented to you by Pastors Tom and Bonnie DeShal from Celebration Church in Harare, Zimbabwe. For more information, please visit celebrationmen.org. Bond correct. Anybody ever been there? Or is it just me? No. You see, we have to understand that uh, we, 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 we wrestle not against flesh and blood. We, we have a spiritual warfare, but we wrestle against ourselves too. We're all trying to walk in a more Christ-like fashion. And today, my message is going to address some of that. And uh, I'm so glad that so many of you are here. I see so many new faces today. You haven't been in church for a while, and it's glad to have you. we're glad to have you back home. And uh, so let's give them a round of applause. And then let's just welcome all the people that are online. We are so glad to have all of you online with us, and we are... Uh, growing the online church, but you know, I'd rather have you in church. And so if you're within a place to get in church, I would suggest next Sunday you be here at 8, 8.30 and 10.30. We have two services, 8.30 and 10.30. And uh, why don't you all turn around and wave to all those people in the balcony? We're so glad that the balcony is full. Aren't you glad the balcony is full? Amen. Praise God. Hallelujah. You know, when we first started the church, before we had this building, we were in the Harry Margolis Hall, and I used to have the crowd turn around and wave at, well, there was no balcony in the, in the Harry Margolis Hall. I said, wave at the balcony. People thought I was a fool. But you see, I wasn't preaching to the congregation in that church. I was preaching to the congregation in this church, and I knew we had a balcony. See, you have to understand something. Sometimes you get to visualize things by faith, and people think you're crazy. You see something that nobody else does because you see it by God. God shows you something in the Spirit. And so, uh, you know... You thought I was crazy. Well, just now that balcony will be full again. Amen? So praise God. Amen. So we want to welcome everybody. And, uh, you know, look, because we live in a fallen world, with it comes a lot of pain, a lot of things we can't explain. There's a lot of things that happen that are really devilish. You know, when you understand that the devil is the god of this world, the Bible says the thief, the devil, comes to rob, to kill, and destroy. But Jesus came that we might have life and have it abundantly. And today I can just feel that there's a lot of people here today. and There's a lot of people that carry a lot of grief, a lot of heart, a lot of heartache, a lot of pain, a lot of sorrow. Uh, some of us have lost loved ones. I lost my brother. He was 62 years old, and there was really no reason for him to die. You know, he died with COVID. He didn't die of COVID. He died with COVID. Like so many people, they, you know, had comorbidities, and the comorbidities killed him. He was an alcoholic, and, you know, his liver was packed in, and he went to the hospital, and then all of a sudden he contracted. He said he had COVID, but he then had pneumonia, and it was a natural progression. But he really killed himself with alcohol. But there's a silver lining in every cloud. Did you know that? 45 minutes before he went comatose, I was able to speak to him. We spoke very, very clearly, very openly. And I was able to confront him about his life with Christ. And he, he'd been a believer. And three times he called upon the name of Jesus. We prayed together. And then after that, he, my, my, my brother Mark was with him. I got to do it on, online. Thank God for the miracle of technology. And uh, when we hung up the phone, I was just telling someone in the service this morning, I had this kind of heavy gut feeling, you know, because I could see he was going to die. And, uh, but as soon as I hung up, I heard the voice of the Holy Spirit speak to me. 
And uh, he said, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And, 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 you know, a burden lifted, and I know that my brother is with the Lord. He called upon the name. Three times he called upon the name of Jesus. And I want you to know something. That's what, all we can do is, as, as believers, we can help people find their way and find their way to Christ. And more and more we need to do that. So why don't you turn to two or three people, and, and don't just say hi or hello. Say, hey, listen, whatever you've been through, Minister a look and a touch and a word. Pray for somebody. Touch somebody. They may just be carrying a sorrow in their heart. Take a minute and do that, and then we'll get into the word this morning. God bless you. Thank you. Band and choir. Praise God. Well, I've been teaching on sanctification. Before the prayer conference, I started talking about sanctification. And sanctification is one of the doctrines of the church. You know, the, 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 the church has a number of doctrines that must be adhered to or at least looked at and, and lived in order for us to be calling ourselves Christians. Many churches today have moved away from doctrine. In fact, they don't teach doctrine from their pulpits anymore. They don't teach. In fact, some of them don't even teach the Bible anymore. They may quote a verse, but then they go into a therapy session. You know, we don't have theology anymore. We have therapy. We stroke each other. We make each other feel good. And, and, and we're, we want to be told, hey, you're going to be all right. Just be the best you can be. But, that, but that, that's not the truth. The truth is we can't be the best we can be or we wouldn't have needed a Savior. And we have a Savior. His name is Jesus. And uh, we needed Him. We need Him to save us from our sins. But then He doesn't just stop at saving us once. It's not a once-off deal. It's a, it's a whole progress of things. It's a, the word salvation is the word sozo. It means you were saved. How many of you know that before the foundation of the earth you were saved? God had a plan. Then 2,000 years ago, you were saved. Jesus paid for all men's salvation on the cross. Then there came a moment in time when you received that salvation into your heart. You said, oh, I accept what Jesus did on the cross. I yield my will and I obey and I became born again. So you were saved. You were saved. You are saved. And guess what? It, now there's a progress, a progression of you are being saved. God is working out. Now those are big words. To separate. Holy means to be separate, to be set apart. Sanctified means to be cleansed, pured, and set apart for something that's holy. Jesus taught his followers to pray not only to hallow God's name, but that God the Father would hallow his name. This is a two-edged sword. Not only are we supposed to hallow his name, but God says he hallows his name. Significantly, this request is the first request in the prayer, the Lord's Prayer. What that simply means is, of, this is of primary importance for God to hallow his name and for his name to be hallowed by his servants, by his saints. Now, in what way do we want the Father to be hallowed or his name to be hallowed? How do we hallow the Father's name? In, in, in what way is his name to be set apart? In what way is it to be made holy? One writer explains it this way. He says, when Jesus petitions the Father to hallow his name, now respond and say, how's he doing? 
You are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus under good works, which God has before ordained that we should walk in them. Well, when I came to the realization that my life was not my own and that I had been created by God to do certain things, it, it changed the way I focused on my whole life. It changed the way I focused on ministry. It changed the way I focused on marriage. It changed the way I focused on family, uh, on business, everything, because I realized, wait a minute, it's not what I want to do. It's not my best plan. It's not, you know, my purpose. It's what is His purpose? What did He create me to do? Now, let me ask you a question. How do you feel? Think about this. How do you feel when somebody mispronounces your name or misspells your name? <laughs> Nobody likes to have their name forgotten, misspelled, or mispronounced. And boy, I'll tell you, with a name like Duchel, you get it all kinds of things. I'll tell you what. I mean, I, my name has never come out right. Every so often somebody says it right, and I say, wow, wow, that was amazing. You got my name right. But 99% of the time, it's a total botch. Don't ever ask anybody to spell it. So I live with this, okay? But nobody likes it. I don't like it. Our names are a part of our identity and individual worth. You know, we value having a good name that is blameless, that speaks of a good reputation. And in a similar way, God's name speaks of His identity, His character, and His actions. In fact, God designed it that way, that He would reveal Himself through His Word and through His names. You see, when David said this, he said, He guides me along the right paths for His namesake. He's referring to the Lord's action of hallowing His name as He guides us. That's found in Psalm 23, verse 3. It says, He restores my soul and He leads me in paths of righteousness for His namesake. Now, that's an important thought that he would do this for his namesake. I mean, he could have said anything. But he says, it's because of my name that I lead you in paths of righteousness. I'm leading you in paths of righteousness for my name, not your name, his name. But how many of you know if you have a bad name, he has a bad name? Isaiah 48, verse 9 says, For my namesake, I will defer, should judge you, although I should cut you off, although I should destroy you, I will not because of my namesake. Why would I destroy you and pollute my name because you polluted yourselves and you didn't revere my name? He said, but then the, 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 the people will say that, yes, the God that delivered them out of Egypt, the God that delivered them couldn't keep them. He said, but for my sake, I won't judge you, but I'm not happy. Ezekiel 20, verse 14 says, But I wrought for my name's sake that it should not be polluted before the heathen, in whose sight I brought them out. Again, God's lamenting. He's saying, But I, I kept you for my name's sake because even though you're evil, you're still my people. See, our Father's name, His character, and His reputation must be set apart as holy in this world. And that is what Jesus is teaching us when we pray the Lord's Prayer. He request, the request, hallowed be your name, comes first. It's the first thing in the Lord's Prayer. There's a reason for that. He doesn't put it at the end. He says, our Father, identifying God, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. 
Right away, Jesus removes the focus from you and I and turns, it on, uh, turns our attention on God. God becomes the total focus of our attention. It's about Him. It's His holiness. It's His work in this world. See, Jesus taught us to begin our prayers by recognizing the God to whom we pray. He's a loving Father who invites us into His presence. He genuinely cares for us. God is holy, and He's worthy of all honor, of all praise. And our priority is to pray that the world that we live in would see how glorious He really is. On a different occasion, Jesus was praying, John 17, and uh, this is His so-called high priestly prayer, but uh, In verses 15 through 19, he says, My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even even as I'm not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Sanctify them, make them holy by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them, I sanctified myself, that they may truly be sanctified. Wow. Now, there's a, that, 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 that's a powerhouse right there. But Jesus sanctified himself by the Word of God. Jesus is the express image of God. And Jesus manifested himself in the earth in perfect form, without sin. And then he prays for us. He says, Father, is the same way I sanctified myself, I ask you to sanctify them. So when we pray to God, I want you to know something, when we pray in the, to, to the Heavenly Father and call upon the name of God in a hallowed way, something powerful and something spiritual and something supernatural takes place in our lives. You see, that word sanctify in the high priestly prayer is translated the same Greek word that is translated hallowed in Matthew chapter 6. Jesus prayed this specifically for His disciples, but also for all of those who would believe in Him. You see, we are believers through the message, meaning that whoever has put their faith in Jesus Christ has, these, has claimed to these promises. John 17, 20 says, Neither pray I for these alone, but also for them which shall believe through their word. Boy, I'll tell you, that's the handing down of the tra- tradition of the Scriptures. That's the power of the gospel. I was, I was reading the other night about a, a church in London and uh, I forget the name of the church, but it was, it, it, it was it's a very old church. It's been there for 1,300 years. And 600 years ago, they put a sign up. And the sign says, this church stands as a testimony to the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This church has withstood wars. It's withstood famines. It's withstood plagues. It's withstood all kinds. And yet we still are here today. That was 600 years ago. At that time, 900 years had passed already, and the church was still there. 600 years later, they have a sign that they put up in front of the church. It's still standing, and there's an addendum to it, because the current congregation says, and yet we still stand. Why? Because this generation, this gospel is passed down generationally to a people that sanctify themselves and stand holy. The church will stand, regardless of what happens in the world. A holy people will stand. You see, we're the children of God. John 1, 
Verse 12 says, But as many as received him, to them he gave the power to become the sons of God, even to those who believe on his name. And because we're children of God, he calls us to be holy. We're called to be holy just like he's holy. 1 Peter 1, 15 through 16 says, But as he which has called you is holy, set apart, separated, sanctified, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Conversation isn't the way you speak. It is the way you speak, but it's also your lifestyle. Because it is written, be ye holy, because I'm holy. No, the church, we, we've kind of thrown holiness out the window. We kind of have Jesus as an attack on. You know, hey, live the however you want to. Go to church on Sunday. You're all right, man. No, no, it's not that way. Jesus isn't live on We don't live for Jesus on Sunday. We're supposed to be his representatives 24-7, seven days a week, 365 days a year. 1 Peter 3.15 says, In your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. This word revere is exactly the same word that's translated hallowed in Matthew 6 and sanctified in uh, John 17. See, one of the ways in which we hallow the, the name of God or God's name is to recognize Jesus as Lord. Recognize Him as the Christ. And in so doing, live our lives in a way that honors the Father. We incline our hearts toward Him. We put our hopes in Him. We obey Him. We share Him with other people. We, we are uh, uh, tools that are and, 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 and instruments that God can use to preach His gospel. See, may, may, may we follow Jesus, or may we follow Jesus' model prayer, and may hallowed be thy name be the true desire of all of our hearts. When we pray hallowed be thy name, we are really climbing to a new level of respect for God, a new level of reverence for Him in His personhood. We're ascending to the very heart of God to recognize who he is and what he's done for us. So, let me run at it again. What does it mean to hallow his name? Well, as I said before, the word hallow in the Greek is hagios, which is the word for holy. Hallow means to set apart as holy, to consider to be holy, or to treat as holy. I, I, I guess the most the best modern word is the word reverence. When you pray, hallowed be your name, you're saying, let your name be holy. Let it be reverenced on earth as it already is in heaven. May your name be given the unique reverence that is due to your character and your nature as God, as our heavenly Father. See, when you begin your prayers, hallowed be thy name, uh, you're not rushing into the presence of God, demanding something. You come into His presence recognizing who He is and who you are in respect to who He is. And then we come to a place where we can ask what He could do for us. The name of God is always an expression of His character. Psalm 20, verse 7. And I love the 20th Psalm. In fact, I meditate on this often. But the, the verse, verse 7 says this. He says, Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but I 
will remember the name of the Lord my God. You see, there's something about the name of God when you really know what it means, when you really know who he is. Not, not, not head knowledge, but you really know him. It's stronger than chariots, stronger than horses, stronger than the conditions you find yourself in this world today. You see, to the Jews, the name of God is so sacred that they won't even say it. In fact, if you deal with the Messianic believers today or some of our Jewish brothers, they'll never even spell the name God. If they're typing a letter, it'll be G-D. They won't say God. They won't say Yahweh. If they say Yahweh, oh my goodness, that, 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 that's, that's amazing. Uh, uh, if they went to a synagogue and said Yahweh, they'd probably get stoned. Because you don't say or mention the name of God. We had a... Uh, we had a Jehovah's Witness visit our church one time, and we're singing Yahweh from our pulpit. He came to me afterwards. He says, how did you know the secret name of God? I said, well, first of all, it's not a secret. I said, it's in the Bible. Secondly, he says, but we never say that name, but that's the secret that we know. That's his name. How did you know that? I, I, well, I didn't know it was a secret. See, in the Ten Commandments, the Lord emphatically says in Deuteronomy 5, verse 11, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. For the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. I think the King James Bible says it this way, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Why is this, in, why is this so important to the Lord that he makes it one of the Ten Commandments? It's important because God's name represents himself, his nature, his being, his essence. You see, God is only as good as his name. By the way, so are you. You just missed a good chance to at least say, oh my. So when Jesus teaches us to pray, hallowed be thy name, he's telling us to give honor to the Father who created us and desires deeply to have a loving and nurturing relationship with us. Now, some people pray, hallowed be thy name, and they, they, they treat it like they're saying, you know, uh, God bless America, or all hail the Queen, or something. It's, just a, it's kind of a colloquialism. It's kind of a, you know, oh, hallowed be thy we, we We treat it so lightly. But when Jesus tells us to pray, hallowed be thy name. He's telling us to do more than just salute the Lord. He's telling us that the Lord desires for us to ascend to his very heart and there recognize who he is and what he has done for us. Let me give you three points today and we'll close. Number one. We hallow his name or reverence, in our reverence of his name or of his character that is revealed in his name. So we hallow his name in our reverence of the character that is revealed in his name. Understand that God's names reveal who God desires to be to us in our relationship with him. Who is he in relation to us? Well, he can't tell us any other way than through his name. When we come to appreciate the scope, the height, the breadth, the depth, and the length, and the width of his character revealed in his names, we begin to realize that 
his names are an invitation for us to get to know him. Our reverence and our worship of God are enhanced as we meditate, as we pray through the, the names of God. Each of the names of God reveals something about his character. Now, there's over 300 names of God in the Bible. Did you know that? Or things that allude to his name. So, there's no end of meditating on who this God is. The Bible says he's multifaceted. Multifaceted. You can never see all the reflections, all the picture of God in one name, in one facet of the diamond. He's multifaceted. He reveals himself as Elohim, the mighty creator in the book of Genesis, chapter 1 or verse 1. That's, 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 that's how he starts. He says, I am Elohim. Now, now, you read God. We all read the same name, God. Well, God could be anything, but God doesn't limit himself to the word God. He says, no, I am. And, and that's why it's so important to read the Bible and understand that it's written in Hebrew. And he is Elohim, the creator. He represents himself as Adonai or Master or Lord to Abraham in Genesis, Genesis 15. Abraham called him Adonai. And God revealed him as such. He reveals himself as El Shaddai to Abraham in Genesis 17. The all-breasted one. The one is who, who's able to meet all of your needs. Sufficient in all things. He again reveals himself to Abraham as El Elyon. The Most High. The Most High in Genesis 14. He's El Roy. The strong one that sees for Hagar when she's in the wilderness. He sees her plight. He sees her need. He sees her condition. And in Genesis 16, he reveals himself to her as the one who sees. And he meets her need. He reveals himself as El Olam, the everlasting God in Genesis 21. He manifests himself. He actually shows himself as Jehovah, the self-existent one to Moses. He appears in a burning bush, and Moses sees him in the burning bush, and he appears as Jehovah. I am that I am. I mean, this is, this is powerful, and it changes Moses' life forever. Moses is changed when he experiences that burning bush. He's Jehovah Yireh, the Lord our provider in Genesis 22. He's Jehovah Mkadesh, the God who sacrifices, or who sanctifies us in Leviticus 20. He's Jehovah Nisi, the Lord, our banner of victory that goes before us in Exodus 17. He's Jehovah Roy, the Lord is my shepherd in Psalm 23. Jehovah Rapha, the Lord who heals us in Exodus 15. Jehovah Shalom, the Lord, our peace in Judges. He's Jehovah Shammah, the Lord who is here in Ezekiel 48. He's Jehovah Tzidkenu, the Lord, our righteousness in Jeremiah. And these are just a few of the names of God presented in the Scriptures so that we can see who He is and what might and what power so that we might just realize how all-powerful, how all-knowing, how all-seeing God really is. See, God reveals His character through His names that we might reverence Him and that we might hallow Him. You see, when we pray, we should acknowledge God's names in reference to our position in Christ. You know, we're not holy because of ourselves. You can't ever be good enough to get to heaven. Did you know that? Salvation is the free gift of God. It's the, a work of grace in your life. And we respond to that grace by faith and through faith that's not our own. We receive Christ and 
We can never boast about it. We must be hidden in Christ. And as we, put our, as we reference our position in Christ in relationship to our needs, the, the names of God become, come into play. In fact, the name of God is supreme, supremely and fully revealed only in Jesus Christ. Jesus said in his intercessory prayer for his disciples in John 17, he says, I have manifested thy name. Jesus is the express image of God in the earth. When Jesus came and lived in the earth, he gave the expression of what God looked like. In other words, what Jesus says, I have revealed your character and I have hallowed your name in my life in the way that I've lived. Isn't that powerful? Thank God for Jesus. So you and I are also, we, we are to also reveal God's character in our lives by hallowing His name and living a life that reflects His character in our character. If Jesus was our example, you and I are to do the same. We're supposed to reflect God's character in the way we carry ourselves in life. Number two, we hallow God's name in our representation of Him on earth. When Jesus taught us to pray, hallowed be thy name, he was instructing us to make the presence of God real in our own hearts. You see, each time you pray, hallowed be thy name, you're placing God on the throne of your heart. It is consciously putting God on the throne of our lives on this earth as he's already seated upon his throne in heaven. He is Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. As believers, our primary concern should be around the idea that every detail of our lives should be for His glory. We hallow His name by acknowledging that we are not living for ourselves, but we're desiring our lives to reveal to others the name of Jesus and the character of our God. Now, that's a big calling for Christians, but that's how great our salvation is. You see, there's a story of a young girl, and I I've, I've heard this many times, and I've told it a few times. There's a story of a young girl who religiously, since she was a little girl, was taught to pray the Lord's Prayer. She would pray it every single night, but it never meant anything to her, ever. She'd just pray it until one day she was born again. She met Jesus as her Lord and Savior. And then she changed the prayer from our Father to my Father. Let me tell you something. When Christ really comes into your heart, you get to know who God really is. He becomes your Father. Whatever service you and I undertake, whether it's in the church or in our so-called secular lives, our first thought should be, is what I'm doing, is this for His glory? Does what I'm doing and the way that I am carrying myself bring glory to God. When others observe my life, will it lead them to hallow Almighty God? Those are pretty good questions, aren't they? This same thought should be in our thoughts when we are choosing the books we read, the movies we watch. This phrase applies to the friends we make and how we treat them. 
It'll be the chief concern in all the habits that we form and all the ambitions that we cherish. This will be our supreme objective in every pleasure that we seek. This will be our attitude concerning every sorrow and every trial that we face. In the midst of my trial, am I bringing glory to God? In the midst of my success, am I bringing glory to God? Am I living in a manner that would honor God? You know, as a pastor, I can hardly go anywhere without somebody knowing me. In fact, in the whole world today, we've had so many people immigrate, I can almost go anywhere in the world, and before long, it's tapped on the shoulder. Hey, Pastor Tom. Hey, Pastor. So that helps me keep my life holy and pure because I know you're all watching. But I want to. I want to. You know, one of the things that happened to me is, uh, you know, as pastors, you're always asked to do something that we all hate to do. I hate to do. I can't say all pastors hate to do. But I hate to come to your house and then, Pastor, will you bless the food? No, you bless it. It's your house. <laughs> it's not that I don't want to bless it, but I'm not just the guy that runs around praying these fanciful little prayers. My blessing isn't any better than your blessing. But then I get these calls to have to do things like we did the world tourism organization up in Fick Falls, and you know, they wanted me to say a, a little prayer. And I, I found a, 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 somebody who wrote something, and he called it the mush god, or the mush god. I guess it's the mush god. And uh, he said this. He says, the mush god has been known to appear to millionaires on golf courses. He appears to politicians at ribbon-cutting ceremonies and to clergymen speaking the invocation on national TV at either Democratic or Republican conventions. The mush god has no theology to speak of, being a cream of wheat divinity. The mush god has no particular credo, no tenets of faith, nothing that would make it difficult for believer or non-believer alike to lower one's head when the temporary chairman tells us that reverend, rabbi, father, or mufti, or so-and-so will lead us in an innocuous and harmless prayer for this god of, the public, of, of, of public occasions is not a jealous God. You can even invoke him to start a hooker's convention, and he or she won't be offended. God of the rotary, God of the optimist, protector of the buddy system, the mush God is Lord of the secular ritual of the necessary but hypocritical forms and formalities that hush the divisive and, deri and, and, and derisive. Mush God is a serviceable God whose laws are chiseled not on tablets but written on sand, open to amendment, qualification, and erasure. This is a God that will compromise with you, make allowances, and declare all wars holy and all pieces hallowed. Well, I read that and I think, well, I'd, I'd never want to be guilty of just praying a song. You know, when they, I've been called to pray and, and, and I, I, I really think about what I'm going to pray and I I try to always be very pointed. Talk about you cannot be saved except through Jesus Christ. I try to make people uncomfortable. In my, when I, if I have one of those kind of prayers, I, I never want to be the guy that, well, pray some little. No, no. We, we're going to use it to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Or I don't want to do it at all. But how about you? How many times? We don't want to offend anybody with our gospel. We don't, we don't want to stand up for a holy, hallowed, God. So he becomes what? A secular nothing. Just tap your neighbor and say, I think he might be talking to somebody that needed to be here today. 
Maybe one of you that's watching by television, you should have been here today. Number three, let's get out of here. We hallow his name by the way our lives reflect his glory in our lives. Paul, the apostle, once warned the church in Rome, in Romans 2.24, he says, The name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. <laughs> I don't know. When I read the Bible, I, I, I don't read it like he's talking to the Romans. I, think, I read it like he's talking to me. Have I ever done something that makes the name of God blasphemed in the community because of what I've done? I'm sure I've done things, but I want to repent if I have. I don't want to be the man who, oh, people are mad at God because of me. Now, if you're mad at God because of his holiness, that's another thing. But if you're something I did that was unholy or unrighteous, then I need to repent. See, it's a frightening thing, and it's a solemn thought to realize that failure on our part to hallow the name of the Lord has disastrous consequences to those around us. It causes the name of our Lord to be blasphemed in the world. So when we pray each day, hallowed be thy name, what we're really saying is, Father, your reputation is at stake in me today. May I live in such a way to be a credit to you, to who you really are, to your character, to your person. And especially in the circles and the spheres that you've given me responsibility and authority to live in, to be a representative for your kingdom. May others see your character through my behavior and honor your name because of what they see of you in me. There's a story of a sat back in his chair. He pondered the young man's response for a moment. And then with a tone that would make a person's bones quake, he said, Young man, Change your attitude or change your name. Amen. See, our prayer to God should be like the prayer of the angels when they cried out before the throne. Or they cried out in Isaiah, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. See, for us to understand how God's name can be glorified, we really don't have to much look much further than Moses when he stood before the presence of God on Mount Sinai. And I, and I, and I love this picture, and I've taught it in our teaching on iniquities. And, you know, we're going to be going back over some of that because the iniquities of our age are, are swamping us now. But the way to get rid of iniquity is to come to know the name of God. And, and uh, you know, God says he is the God. I'll, I'll read it to you. It says right here, Jesus, Moses asked him to show him his glory. And in, in Exodus 34, verses 5 through 7, it says, Then the Lord came down in a cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name. It's amazing. God comes down. It wasn't his presence. It was his name that he declares. He says, The Lord. And he passed in front of, in front of Moses proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, 
abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving iniquity, rebellion, and sin. Wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Let me tell you something. God has never changed. He changes not. And he reveals his character. He reveals who he is with his name. What Moses experienced that day was more than glorious. It was supernaturally glorious. Moses experienced the Shekinah glory, the actual presence of God, the very visible manifestation of the presence of God. As a result, the Bible says that Moses was changed. He was transformed. He began to glow. He began to radiate the glory of God. And he went into the presence of God like all of us. We go in one way and we come out a different way. There's something happens when we go into the presence of God. That's why we should meet Him every day. That's why we should be in His presence. You cannot go into God's presence without changing. There's a transformation that takes place, a reformation, a, rec a reconstruction, a renovation, an alteration that takes place in our lives when we are in the presence of God. You might call it an extreme makeover, and some of you could use one. Some of us have to go back to a number of treatments. But it's changing, life-altering, transforming when we get in the presence of God. Let me conclude. Let me, let me leave you with five necessities if we're going to honor God, if we're going to honor our Father's name. Number one, we have to understand that God has a name. And it's revealed through many attributes that reveal His unique character. In fact, God's multifaceted names reveal one God, the one God who has many characteristics. Some people say, I don't understand that. How, how can we just have one name? Just like you don't have one name. Your daughter or your son calls you daddy or father. Your wife calls you husband. Your employees call you boss. Citizens of the city call you leader or philanthropist. Some of you call you by a colloquial name, Tommy, Tom. Others by your formal name, Thomas. Whatever it might be. But we, have, we all have many attributes. Oh, he's a good man. He's, he's a great man. He's a wealthy man. He, these things all describe who you are. They're names that are given to you. Maybe he's an evil man. Maybe he's a wicked man. Maybe he's a... Uh, and there's all kinds of names that people say of us. The second thing is that God's name is holy. His name is set apart or separated or hallowed. There is no other God who has such attributes. In fact, if you study all other religions, mythologies, all the pantheon of religions, with the exception of Judaism and Christianity, they have to have multiple types of gods to show the attributes of those gods. The God of war, the God of love, the God of pleasure, the God of, and I mean, it's a pantheon of gods, but our God is all and in all, the one true God. Number three, our Lord wants us to bring praise to Him, and we do so in our lifestyles of holiness, not only sanctifying or making His name holy, but making our lives holy. Number four, the Lord's Prayer is the pattern of the way we should pray. The first thing we're to do is to make sure that we're aware of who we're praying to. 
He's no other God. He's, he's not to be treated lightly. We don't just enter in casually before almighty God. His name is separate from every other God or every other thing. His name is to be hallowed. It's holy. And finally, this is important. This is really an important point. Number five, God will never force anyone to hallow or praise his name. You know, when you see religions that make you bow your knee to that religion, you know it's not God. God has never forced anybody to be a part of his church. He's never forced anybody to be saved. He's never, he will never force you. He says, it is, I respect you. I made you in my image. I created you a certain way. And I respect you so much that I will love you even if you deny me and I send you to hell. But it'll be your choice. It'll be your decision. It will not be my goodness that'll be maligned. It'll not be my provision that'll be maligned. It'll be you. You have made that decision, and my goodness will stand forever. For the, every good and every perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights, in whom there's no variableness, no shadow, no turning. But through your deception, your confusion, whatever that might be, it keeps you from receiving Christ or rejecting Christ. He will never force your hand. He will never make you. Now, I might try because I don't want any man to perish. I will make an appeal that will say, please give your life to Christ. God is the God of love. Don't judge God by his church. Don't God judge God by my life. Don't judge God by, by what the mess we see in the world. Come to Christ. Christ is not a church. God makes his appeal to men through preaching. So today, if you're listening and you've never received Christ, or you're here today and you've never received Christ, today's your day. Today would be a great day to say, wait, wait, there's a holy God, and I know that I fall short of that holy God. I, I, I have no way to get to God. I can never be good enough to get to a holy God. He is, he is holy, and I'm not, and I'll never be holy the way I need to be, except in Christ. Jesus paid the full price of holiness for me. So I appeal to you today, if you've never received Jesus, He's the only way. The Bible says He is the way. He is the truth and He's the life. No man can go to the Father except through Him. You cannot have access to Almighty God except through Him. Now God loves you. He hears you. He, but His whole intention is that you would come to know Christ. If you're listening online, there's a phone number right there. Go right on that phone number. There's somebody on the other end of that line that can talk to you. They'll help you. If they can't help you, they'll get you to somebody who can. There's a pastor. There's a counselor. There's somebody that can help you. Maybe you don't need to be born again, but maybe you just need what we've been talking about today. Wow, I, I, I've, I feel guilt-ridden. I feel heavy. I feel burdened. I feel overwhelmed. Hey, we carry one another's burdens. We're here to help each other. Call that number right now. Somebody will help you. We love you. God bless you. Thanks for listening. For more teachings and videos, visit celebrationmen.org.